So at the point of that part, first part of Jeremiah chapter 17, God is kind of putting them in their place and what's going to happen. But then verse 5, watch this. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land, and not be habited, inhabited. But blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat comes, but her leaf shall always be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And then, if you will, Jeremiah asks a question. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand the heart of humanity? And then the answer comes in the 10th verse. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. And even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And... uh, I want us just to, to, to close our Bible for a moment. I want you to ask the, word, ask the Lord for his word to speak to you right now. Would you do that? Jesus, we're here in your presence. And what a presence it has been. You have filled us with your mercy and your goodness. And Lord, I'm asking now that you would let the glory of your word and the power of your word speak to every individual here. We pray and we give you glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You can be seated. God is good. Within the pages of at least the King James Version Bible, because there are different ways that the Word of God has been translated out of English, but in the pages of the King James Bible, there are seven references to an obscure word called reigns. At first glance, you might would think rain in the sense of the, the precipitation coming down from the sky. Or perhaps rains as in a king rains. Or it's spelt the same way as we talk about the horse and the, the reins of a horse. But instead, this word reins comes from the, the English or, or the Latin word. Uh, and I don't probably don't pronounce it right. I don't speak Latin. But uh, renes or rene. Which is what we derive, the English word, renal, kidney. The Hebrew, it was called the kiliah. It literally meant the kidney as an essential organ, but figuratively it meant the mind. The Greek called it the nephros. It was used metaphorically of your will and of your affections. In in ancient days, um, they had different ways of talking, and so... They would have said that you, your feelings and your emotions had a seat in your kidneys. Now, if you'll hang with me, we'll get somewhere for a moment. But I was reading something. Google is an absolutely incredible thing. You can find just about anything you want. A lot of things you don't need, but you can find it. But a lady by the name of Kelly Halls wrote back in 1998, she wrote a discourse and she got to... to Looking back, of course, uh, anytime Valentine's Day comes and all that lovey-dovey, mushy-gushy stuff begins to happen and you got little Cupid uh, 
you know, shooting that arrow, and of course his, his aim is the heart, because if Cupid's arrow can hit the heart, then everything changes. But the problem is, is that's not always been so. In fact, it's not the only time that people used parts of the body to uh, talk about things. You know, for example, frequently in ancient literature, the liver was the source of desire. Uh, you, you can look in the Bible or even other works by ancient authors and you would find that there were bowels of compassions. I don't know. I kind of think it'd be interesting. Celine Dion would sing as... Uh, <laughs> I can't think of her name, but the chick that drowned it in the Titanic... Or she didn't drown, her boyfriend drowned because there was definitely room on that door for both of them, but you know how it is. But As he treaded water looking in the eyes of his girlfriend on the top of that board, you would have heard, heard Celine Dion saying, my liver will go on. The Backstreet Boys, which you'd have to be of my age to really understand and, and think they would beg you, quit playing games with my compassionate bowels. Queen Aliyah might sing about in that roll in blues, the one I gave my spleen to. It would change drastically the works of Shakespeare. For Othello would wear his liver on his sleeve and spleens, not hearts, would be as true as steel in a midnight summer's dream. And Hamlet would have to reach a little lower to pluck out the bowel of his mystery. I'm so glad the Bible changed, or at least the King James kind of uses words we understand because in reality, it would say, let not your liver be troubled. Out of the abundance, and unfortunately this probably happens more than you think, but, but it, it could have said, out of the abundance of your bowels, your mouth speaketh. And would anybody ever want to sing, I left my spleen in San Francisco? But you see, the ancients, they didn't understand all of the workings of man. They didn't understand how everything went. There were no MRIs. There were no uh, uh, diagnostic machines. There were very little uh, understanding of the anatomy other than just the, the, the main things. And so they would use it. But even then, I believe the Lord understood. So he began to say, you find those seven references like Psalms, and we'll get back to this, Psalms chapter 16, verse 7, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins or my kidneys also instruct me in the night season. It was, it was uh, uh, the psalmist said in Psalms 26, 2, examine me, O Lord, improve me, try my reins, try my kidneys and my heart. It was Jeremiah chapter 20 that said, O Lord of hosts, you that try the righteous and seeth the rain, seeth the kidneys in the heart, let me see thy, thy, thy vengeance on them. I've often wondered why would God use things like that? Why in, in the Hebrew, in the Greek, why would he say try my kidneys, if you will? Those bean-shaped organs that you have, most of you probably, one on either side of your lower abdomen, about the size of a fist. Each day those kidneys will process over 200 quarts of blood. And in that daily work of sifting the 200 quarts of blood, they will pull out two quarts of waste products and extra water that you will excrete out later in other ways. And it takes those waste 
Every one of us that have normal kidneys, they operate at 100%. But you can even live with mild declines in your kidney functions. You could have 30 or 40% loss in your kidneys and never know it. It's only those with reduced kidney functions. It's those with kidney disease. In fact, it's said that serious problems occur when you get to only 25% of what your kidneys can filter out. When it drops below 15%, usually dialysis or a kidney transplant is necessary. The kidneys are the filter system of your body. While you may not have a degree in physiology, you understand that filters are a very necessary part of many things. Your, your car has an oil filter. You need to go change it. Me and my wife, we desperately need to change one in our van. I looked at it the other day and realized we're overdue for it. If you don't change your filter, that, that oil gets sludgy and junky and gunked up and it cannot uh, effectively cool the engine. You, you have water filters. You have air filters on a furnace. You have filters on a vacuum. But, and you don't ever think about those things. You have to plan the, the, the maintenance of a filter. I don't think anyone here except maybe Ron uh, Neely and, and, and the AC thinks about a filter on a daily basis. But you let a filter get clogged and watch the things not begin to work. If your filter is clogged, your car is damaged, your appliance is damaged. I've seen oil filters and gas filters on motorcycles and ATVs. I've seen them so clogged up that it was like pouring out sludge out. It, it doesn't work that way. I've had air filters that were clogged. When we bought our, our house there in Toledo, Ohio, it, it was up on a crawl space, and, and it didn't have a basement, and, and the, the furnace and all of that was in the crawl space. And, and it was it got cold in up there in Toledo and and uh, nothing like here you know here we might have a really cold day or a couple days but just wait a minute it'll get back to 40 and you can survive there it would get down to zero and stay there for a whole month and and one of the coldest nights of, of there it, it, it was so cold and our furnace was running nine and nothing it felt good and then I woke up freezing there was no heat well, I didn't have a whole lot of money, so I called a friend of mine in the middle of the night who had a little bit of knowledge of that. I said, what do I need to do? And I crawled in the middle of the night under that house, and, and you, you just have to push the spiders and all the other stuff that liked that area. You had to push it away because it was still warm around that, that furnace, and I would have to find. And I realized there was a thermal protection switch, and I would be able to click that back on and and get out and go jump in bed and it would last for about 30 minutes and then it would kick back off and I'd have to put my cover, coveralls back on and do that. I don't know how many times I clicked that crazy switch until finally someone who had a whole lot more uh, knowledge than I told me about a filter I didn't know about under there. He said, the reason that's clicking off is because your filter's clogged. I said, well, I replaced this one. He said, I know, but what about that one? I said, I didn't do that. It's been two years. I never replaced it. Pulled that filter out. No airflow could go through it. And after I pulled that filter out and put a new one in there, I never had to go click that switch off or back on again. How many of you have ever tasted water that's not been filtered and then tasted water after it's been filtered? Did you understand how important a filter is? It was the psalmist that said, try my reins. It was Jeremiah several times that said, it's the Lord that tries and sees my reins. I know that that range means kidneys, but I don't think it literally meant to try your kidneys. When Zane was not yet born, but was percolating there in, in the oven, and Brienne, it was getting close to the due date, 
and, and Brienne started getting pains and she didn't know what how it was all going to be. I didn't, so we just just ran as fast as we can to the ER and, and the OB thinking, here comes baby Zane and we get her in there and the doctor walked into the room. He was horrible, had no bedside presence at all. He, he walked in, Brienne's hurting and he walked in and I, and you can ask this Buford, I'm not making this up. He walked in, didn't say a word. Balled up his fist, punched her in the side. She screamed Bloody Mary. And he goes, up, oh, you got a kidney infection. You might die. It's really bad. You better get some help. And walked out. I told the nurse, I said, if that doctor comes back in, I'm leaving. I said, he, and, and she kind of looked at me and smiled. I think she understood. But, but that's not what it means for God to try your reins. He's not here to punch in your kidneys and see how it is. But instead, in each of the cases here in the word of God, the kidneys was what the Hebrews and the Greeks called the inner being of a man. If I could, I would put it this way. It is your, the seat of your emotions, but even more, it is your conscience. The, the, it, it could perhaps be translated, and this is where I want to go from here on. It could be aptly said that what, what, the psalmist and Jeremiah were saying was, Lord, try my inner parts and see if my filters are working. See if I'm clean inside or have I begun to build up impurities that will affect my life. You and I need the filters. You and I need to make sure your conscience is working. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalms chapter 16 and verse 7. I want to read verse 7 through 11 and then I want to kind of break it down and I think you'll understand very carefully and very quickly what the Word of God means. David said this in Psalms chapter 16 and verse 7. He said, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel and my reins, my kidneys, my filters also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall also rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice that David... He was saying, he mentioned that his reins or his conscience or his filter was working even at night. He began to talk about putting the Lord always before me. I want to just, and, and I think I'll, I'll mention this briefly, but your kidneys work 24 hours a day. They don't work just after you drank a glass of water and filter out. They're working constantly. Your kidneys, if, if, if they only work at certain parts of the day, then, then you're going to have some severe physical issues. Some of you need to let your conscience work 24-7. And I want to show you why. David said, I put the Lord always before me. Those ancients regarded the kidneys as the seat of the moral and spiritual sentiments. 
It was those convictions. And, and if you've ever wondered, I know we can't see our soul, but we talk a lot about it. It's in all of the, 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 the songs that we sing. It's in the sermons that we preach. It's the, the, the theology-type words that we use. We talk about our soul. And, and someone might say, how do I know what my soul is? I'll tell you what your soul is. Your soul articulates itself in your conscience. It's not Jiminy Cricket that, that Pinocchio had that followed him around. That's not what I'm talking about. But your conscience comes from your soul. Your soul is the part of your life that God has breathed life into. It's the part that connects you to God that one day, uh, Lord willing, you and I will walk to heaven and we will be like him finally, but it will only be because you allowed your soul to articulate, I think it was Rousseau, a theologian that said, you ought to keep your life such as would lead you to desire that there should be a just God and you will have no doubt of his existence. Another writer said it this way, the conscience, it's the silent depths of the soul in which the echoes of God's voice are always sounding. I am convinced that from the dawn of humanity, inside the conscience, inside the soul that you have, you can still hear the resounding voice of God walking through that garden of Eden in the cool of the day saying, Adam, where are you? I believe that God is constantly calling to you and I through your conscience. He is calling, where are you? Where are you? He was asking Adam and Eve to take stock of where they were. And are you where you need to be? Those echoes are best heard when all is quiet about us. Which is why, and I, I know because I've been in your shoes and I've walked your places. It's why at night when you lay down on your bed... And the jangling of the busy days and the cacophony of noise of life begins to fade away. That the soul, as one writer said, the soul expands to the infinite when the narrow arena of earthly competitions disappear as stars show themselves when darkness has blotted out the scenes of the earth. Have you ever noticed that you can walk out? If we walked out on our parking lot tonight, when it gets dark, you don't see a lot of stars because there's too much light from this world lining up. But go out into the country where there's no light and look up and suddenly the stars seem brighter and more uh, numerous. The same is true with your conscience. It's why when you go to bed at night and life kind of shuts down that all of a sudden your conscience begins to speak. Your mind begins to roll over and over. It's God that's talking to you. Where are you? What you're doing with your life? How's it been? You remember that word you said? You remember that fight you got in? The member, you, you remember what was happening? It's in the stirring. It's the, it's, it's the, the, I'm sorry, the staring at the ceiling at night. Or for me, a lot of times it happens when you drive in the car and you shut the, 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 the radio off and you put the phone down. You ought not drive with the phone anyway, that's bad, but put the phone down, shut the music off. And just drive and suddenly your conscience, your kidneys, your reins begins to call out to you. The best interpreter of what the, the, the is being said is found in the word of God. 
Francis Corley, and I don't know exactly who he is. I assume a theologian around, uh, around 1644. This, this is what he said of God. I that alone am infinite can try how deep within itself thy heart doth lie. Thy seaman's plummet can but reach the ground, but I find that which thy heart itself can never be found. God sees things in you that you don't even understand. God has a way of looking into the darkest, deepest, secret parts of your life that nobody else knows about. And that's why uh, Jeremiah, or the psalmist said, or, or Jeremiah said, that who can know the heart? Because if you trust your heart, you're in a dangerous place. If you trust just the emotions, they can lie to you. But if you'll let God begin to try your heart, which is why the psalmist said in verse 8, he said, I have set the Lord always before me. The conscience that I'm talking about, which is born of God, it's the soul within you that speaks out. There are two types of convictions. There is the conviction of the emergency, and there's the conviction of the experience. The former conviction of emergency is instinctive. The latter takes some time to mature. It's been said there's no atheists in foxholes. You uh, let something happen to you, and all of a sudden your conviction is right there. I need God. Let a person that's never darkened a door, let a person that's never sang a worship song, that's never bended a knee to pray, let something bad happen in their life and suddenly their soul begins to speak very loudly when they face a possibility of an eternity. And while there is absolute truth, and I would never deny, if you will, a deathbed confession or a deathbed uh, 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 salvation experience, cannot tell you something more greater is that conviction of experience. It waits a little bit. Belief is not conviction. It's only the beginning of what that, that, that seed begins to grow. It's the germination. Conviction is when your faith begins to bear fruit. It's one thing to say I believe in God, but that is not conviction. That might be faith. But conviction is when you walk the path. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Conviction is faith and fruition. It takes time. And so because of that, it's important what you put before you. That's why the psalmist, as he began to understand the importance of his conscience... He said, I have set the Lord always before me. One writer said it this way, that which is constantly in a man's eye must help very largely to shape him. What are you looking at? Let me take this outside the spiritual realm for a moment. You, you talk to interior designers. They will tell you that colors of walls will affect the mood of a person. Anybody ever heard that? If I put you in a room where it was blue and gray, it would be very simple. They could, they, they're, they're just instantly, your spirit, your, your emotions would kind of... Huh. 
if I put you in a bright room with yellow colors and, 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 and kind of like a pediatrician's office, the reason pediatrician's office look like that is because it lifts the spirits. We used to, they've done it a few times, and, but, but when I was a young person, one of the greatest things, fun things that we did is we'd have those, those skating socials, Sister Buford. And there we would, we would and, and I got to play the DJ for a lot of those. And this was way before you had the iPods and the iPhones and all these cool things. I had my binder of CDs. How many of you had a binder of CDs? I'm talking about not just a sleeve, a binder that could hold 400 CDs. It was worth its weight in gold, and you carried that as, as if it was, and, and I would bring that, and I would spend hours, me and Matthew Dugas, we would spend hours looking through the CDs, what song we were going to play, because you couldn't just make a playlist. You had to actually take that round CD and put it in the tray and shut the door and push that play song. So we had two CDs, and we had a fader. It was so cool. I felt like I was just incredible. But I'm a little, I'm a little off sometimes. And uh, I have a very malicious side to me. And so, you know, it was at 400, 200, 300 people be out there skating and we'd be playing some rocking song that, you know, had a good beat of maybe a black gospel choir and, man, everybody would be skating, they'd be smiling, they'd be having fun and I'd punch Matthew Dugas and I'd say, now watch this, and I'd fade it to the song Butterfly Kisses. They'd almost fall on their face because what was in front of them, what was going in their ears affected their mood. And it didn't care how fast you were skating. You didn't even know what you were doing. They'd just start slowing down. Don't worry. About five months, Christmas is going to be here, and it's a wonderful time of the year until they put that stupid song Christmas shoes on. Because what is... Before you, listen carefully as I read from a commentary. I like what it said. If the thing which is constantly before you is larger and better than yourself, then its hourly presence will rebuke your littleness and your badness and it will work to assimilate you to it. But if what is in front of you is worse than yourself, it will draw you Downward. He said, Lord, try my reins. Try my filter. Try what's in front. Lord, the only way I can do this is what I put in front of me. That's why the great apostle Paul penned with such enthusiasm that exhortation to run, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, to keep your eyes on the prize of the high calling and reaching forth to what is before some might ask but isn't God always before us that, that's true yes he is but notice David and he did not write this with any, any You know, he knew what he was writing he didn't say the Lord is always before me he said I have set him always before me David understood that to live for God means there has to be a very pointed and very disciplined approach he is what I have put my eyes upon yes I know he's everywhere at all times with all power and he can do everything but I have put in front of it it's that old song turn your eyes on Jesus look full into his wonderful face 
wants that thing. I would tell you, and I would, would like for you to understand, that God will never be truly before you unless you put him there. He's not going to just place himself there. It takes training. It takes determination. It takes practice. It takes spiritual disciplines to put you there. Last week I talked about the, the principle of saturation and I used the, the, the thing about a compass, how you can take a little needle and you can take a magnet and, and stroke that needle until that needle becomes magnetic and it will point to north. But let me tell you, that, that you, you, you don't want a, that, that bar of steel does not have a natural inclination to point north. It has to be, it has to be acted on it. It has to have a magnetic virtue that someone said imparted to it. It has to have a persistence. I love the fact that, that David did not say, I have set the Lord before me. He said, I have set the Lord always before me. There's a key to that. There is a truth to that. It is always before me. It's not that once or twice in your life you got serious about God and you put him before you. It's more than one service a week. It's more than one revival or good move of God every, every year. But you've got to put it in front of you always. It would be absolutely foolish if you were on a journey, whether across the ocean or across the wilderness, for you to have a compass, but only look at that compass once every week. Now you may eventually orient yourself, but look at all the time you're wasting. The same is true when it comes to your walk with God. What do you put in front of you? It's when you put the Lord in front of you, He begins to help you. He begins to show you. Those, and I've known people, and I know you have as well. You've you've met people whose filters, their kidneys don't work. When their kidneys don't work, they have to go on dialysis. The machines for those dialysis sometimes cost up to $100,000 a machine. And they, while they do a work, but it's very time consuming. Three to four hours, up to three to four times a week, someone would have to go into a dialysis center, hook themselves up to a machine. They can do nothing else for those three or four hours that day, but let that machine do the work. They now have a new dialysis. I saw that, that you can do it overnight, which is at least better because at least you can let it do it while you sleep. But even then has some risks. But if they don't do that, the impurities build up and damage occurred. That's why the Bible indicates, and we use the term, a conscience that's been seared. It's a conscience that's just gotten cloudy doesn't do a good job filtering out the things of our life and pretty soon a person can get to the place where they can sin and there's not even a voice being heard you're going down the wrong path it just it just doesn't matter anymore it's because they never allowed that filter that conscience to be clean they didn't put the Lord in front of them 
God had dimmed in their view. The impurities build up. And damage occurs. Listen carefully. While the kidneys are incredible places, you could have kidney failure and, 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 and later on get put on that kidney list and they give you a brand new kidney and that's great. And from then on, maybe your life is back to normal. But the damage that occurred with a clogged and improperly working filter had already been done. While I appreciate what God can do in bringing us back to Him when we stray, it's far better to never stray in the first place. Because God knows. That's why David said, create in me a new heart and renew a right spirit within me. It was the psalmist that wrote in Psalms uh, 101, and this is a pretty good list of how to make sure your conscience is ready. He said, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord. Will I sing? I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way, and when will you come unto me? I will walk within mine house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Those that privately slander his neighbor, I'll cut them off. To him that has a high look and a proud heart, I, I don't want to suffer to be around him. But mine eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies, I don't want them to tarry in my sight. I will early destroy the wicked of the land that I may cut out cut off the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. This was a psalmist that understood, I've got to make sure my filter's clean. My conscience is ready. And I've put the Lord forever before me. Lord, try my reins. I think it would be good for each one of us to stand tonight. I don't necessarily think God's got to punch anybody in the kidneys, but I do want him to get a hold of your spiritual life. I want right now, I want, I want God to begin to speak to hearts and begin to try the conscience. For him to poke and prod in some places and he wants to see how you'll react. Where has that conscience been seared? Where has the filter been clogged by the cares and the things of this world? Where is it that your eyes and your direction are going a little wrong and He's got to put you back where it is. That's why Jeremiah said, Lord, try my reins. Try my kidneys. Try that filter within me. Look at my conscience, Lord. Would you speak? I want the voice of God in my life, in that conscience of my soul. I want it to speak very loudly. I, I know that he's always speaking, but Lord, if you've got to take all of the things, the noise and the chaos, so that I might hear you better, Lord, would you take anything out of my life that is a distraction for what my soul is crying out unto me? Because above all else, my soul must be saved. Above all else, 
I must hear your voice and I must follow you. Lord, let me learn to put you in front of me always. My eyes on you. My eyes focused on you and nowhere else. Hallelujah. I think it'd be great if we came as a church body around this altar and just begin to lift our hands and say, Lord, would you, would you examine me a little bit? Put me on the operating table of your spirit. Lord, whatever you need to do, your word is sharp and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder the joints and the marrow. Your word said it gets right down in the middle of our heart, our soul. Lord, I pray you try it. And if there be any wicked way, infinity.